Hello and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and joining me here in the Murrieta Studios is Dr. David Burns. Hi, David. Hi, Fabrice. Dr. David Burns has been a pioneer in the development of cognitive therapy, and he is the creator of the new team therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 20 languages. He is an emeritus adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 66 of the Feeling Good podcast. We're going to continue delving into the five secrets, and uh, we still have uh, Dr. Helen Yenikomshin with us. So um, you're going to be in for a treat. Hello, everybody. Hi, Helen. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, Hello, so, Fabrice. <laughs> Hello, David. <laughs> Hello, Hello. <laughs> Where are we, Fabrice? <laughs> In the Murrieta Studios. <laughs> okay, we're going to erase all that. No, it's good. It's just, we're, we're human, right? Why, why do we we, we just left half of our audience again. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the first of the five secrets today, the, the most challenging and most fantastic, really, of the five secrets, the, the disarming technique. It's very hard to learn, but uh, if you're humble and willing to learn it, it can change your life. It was really a life changer for me, to, to be honest. And, and again, what, what is the uh, disarming technique, Helen? The disarming technique is finding some truth in what the other person is saying, even if it seems totally unreasonable or unfair. Right, and it's based... Okay, so let, let me stop okay. you here. Okay. What if it is unreasonable and unfair? Well, then you want to see the truth in it. And, and once you acknowledge the truth and the criticism, the person will stop believing it. And this is best illustrated through examples because you'll almost always think the other person's criticism is totally untrue and, and unfair. And I can I can give a pretty dramatic example of that in my own clinical work. And then yeah. I think you you have a good uh, a good family one if you uh, dare dare to share it. Uh, the, the, the idea behind the disarming technique is that when people attack us, we think what they're saying is untrue and unfair, and so we defend ourselves. And everyone listening to the broadcast does this and has probably done it a thousand times with friends and family members. Get, you get irritated and, and defensive and you argue, and then the, the problem escalates. And the more you argue, the more the other person believes that what they're saying is true. Now, let me just disguise identities here a little bit. I, I treated a, a young woman we'll call uh, Janice, who uh, was, uh, uh, had, was an immigrant from, uh, from Europe and had, had gotten citizenship here and um, was, was uh, asking for, for treatment for, for severe depression. And uh, she also had what, what's called borderline personality disorder, which is, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, it's a particularly severe uh, form of depression where a person is depressed pretty much every minute of every day. It often comes on in adolescence and and sometimes uh, there, there's a history of abuse, 
and sometimes these individuals uh, do self-mutilation with mm -hmm. razor blades or they, they burn themselves with, with cigarettes uh, as, as an escape from the, the emotional pain they're, they're feeling. And they also have strong oscillation of their moods. Yeah. Yeah, an intense fear of abandonment yeah. and anger. And it's not always severe. It, it can be on a spectrum, um, but it certainly can be severe. And Yeah. And they often, in my experience, make great demands on the therapist. And typically the therapist will try hard to please them and whatever the therapist does, it's never good enough. And I've often said it's, uh, in the early days, I used to say, I feel like I'm uh, a dog and the patient is holding the hoop up and saying, jump through the hoop. And then you jump through the hoop and the patient says, well, that wasn't any good and holds mm -hmm. it up higher. And no matter what you do, it isn't good enough. And so this woman, Janice, I, I don't think I'd ever worked harder for a patient or given given more of myself, but she was very demanding and she tended to blame everyone else for her, her problems. And once during a therapy session, she looked at me and she says, Dr. Burns, I, I just want you to know that this is uh, worse than the incest and abuse I endured as a child, that your therapy is worse than that. And I just wanted to kill her. I was so, it was so painful for me and I, I was so angry. And I was thinking to myself, I've given so much to you, and you never appreciate any anything I do, and you never are accountable. You never look at your own role and the problems. You're always blaming, blaming someone else. But I didn't say much. I I I, I didn't. I just did allow myself to you know lash lash out at her, which would have been very unprofessional. But that's that's how I was feeling, and I kind of stumbled stumbled along to the end of the session. And then that weekend, I used to jog around uh, a certain college. Uh, there was a trail, and I'd go, it was a two-mile trail, and I'd go around twice, sometimes with a friend, and we'd talk difficult cases, and my colleague couldn't come, and so I was just thinking about her on my own, and I was telling myself, well, why don't you find some truth in what she's saying? And then I would tell myself, there is no truth in what she's saying. She's just blaming other people, and you've given everything to her, and She's just totally out to lunch. And that's how all of us feel, the listeners. We all feel this way when we feel unfairly attacked. And then I told myself, no, David, there, there must be some truth in what she was saying. Figure it out. She was trying to tell you something that's true. And then I said, no, there's no truth in it. And I kept going back and forth and back and forth and suddenly hit me like lightning. And I saw what I think she'd been trying to, to tell me. And it was kind of like a shock to my system. And when I saw her the next uh, session, I, I said, you know, Janice, when you told me that the uh, therapy that I've been doing with you is worse than the incest and abuse you endured as a child. And by the way, when she told her parents, they never believed her. So she never got any resolution or satis satisfaction. Or any emotional validation. Uh, yeah. Or help. Ab yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and so I, I said, I was, I, I was so mad, to tell you the truth, I want to wring your neck. I, I really, I was enraged. And I felt you were entirely wrong and being unfair to me. And then I jogged, you know, around such and such college and, uh, and suddenly dawned on me, I think, what, what, you, what you were trying to tell me. And I think you were trying to tell me, like, when you were little and you were exploited by older 
people, old, older men who, who were using you. And, and that in the therapy, I've been trying to kind of use you to, to use my techniques, get you to do my tech techniques. I've been using you for my own purposes of my own ego rather than hearing your suffering and providing the warmth and compassion that, that you need. And that's what you were tr tr trying to tell me, I, I think. And I want you to know when, when, I, when I realized that, I felt a tremendous uh, feeling of shame and, and saw that, that that's actually right. I've been pushing you to do the homework and, and to use these techniques, and I haven't really been listening and, and hearing your suffering and the anger and the desperation and the hopelessness uh, that, that you've been feeling. And I, I just wonder, you know, if, if, if I got it right, if, if that's what you were trying to tell me. And then she just began sobbing uncontrollably, and all this pain came out. And, and, and she later said that was the moment that, that, that changed her, her life because finally so, someone was listening. Mm -hmm. and, and the moment I agreed that I had been failing her, in that moment I, I became successful. Uh, I, I made a connection with her. My failure was her first uh, success. So can you talk more about the, the process you went through to really find, I mean, a lot of times, it, it's hard to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. And if on top of that, what they say seems completely incongruous to us, how, how do you get to, to finding that? Well, you have to want it, first of all. And the problem is that you might not want it. You might prefer to be defensive and be in the victim role and blame the other person and keep, keep arguing. That's what most humans do most of the time. But in, in this case... I had a strong desire to, to have a breakthrough with, with, with her and to set my ego aside. But there's a, the desire comes first, and then and it takes a lot of practice. When I first practiced with the disarming technique after I invented it, uh, I, I spent two months uh, practicing it, 30 minutes every day. And I would say, what, what is some impossible criticism a patient could say to me that I couldn't possibly agree with because it's so preposterous? And then I would work on it work on it until I could figure out what was, what was true about it. Anyway, that was a clinical example, and I could give dozens of them, but the bottom line is when you agree with someone who's being critical of you, uh, it just it transforms the, the interaction, and they'll, they'll typically stop believing uh, the, the criticism. Helen, you were mentioning uh, a, a personal uh, relationship, family-type uh, example of that. Yes, I, I can definitely share that. But just to comment on Janice, uh, that you could imagine that um, Janice was obviously hurting a lot, and she was quite hurtful to you in her statement that um, you were worse than her years of incest and so on. So you could imagine if she was bringing that anger into other relationships in her life that she was putting pushing people away and probably didn't have a whole lot of people who wanted to get close to her. And because you were able to um, disarm her and use thought and feeling empathy and I feel statements and stroking and rather than running from her, try to connect with her. It was a very powerful experience for her. 
Right, and, and we'll come to your family mm -hmm. example in a minute because everyone who's listening isn't a therapist, but I think the general principle is important that when people are criticizing us, when our patients are criticizing us, you can say they're, they're trying to kill us. She was try, trying to kill me. She, she took uh, the worst blow that, that she could think of. And the question is, for therapists, do you, do you have the courage to die for your patients? Mm -hmm. B because my ego had to die in order to see, see the truth of, of what she was saying. And then the, the odd thing is that when you let your ego die, when you're under attack from a loved one or from a patient, you see the world through their eyes with, with warmth and, and compassion and, and vulnerability. In most instances, they'll, they'll, their ego will suddenly die too, and then you'll be connected with, mm -hmm. with them. Their defenses will also go down, and that's what happened in this, in this case and so many other cases. And yet there's always a voice in me saying, David, you shouldn't have to do that. You're, you're right. They're, they, uh, the other person is wrong, and they, they better admit that they're, they're wrong. And, and if you give in to that, then the, the relationship will generally just pretty much, tensions will escalate and the relationship will, will sometimes fall apart. But give us your, uh, your cool example. Well, that's a good segue, I would say. <laughs> so this is a, a more kind of day-to-day -day trivial example. But um, so when I'm driving with my husband and kids, usually my husband will be in the driver and um, he will tend to notice bad drivers. So he'll say things like, oh, did you see how fast that guy was going? Or look, they ran the, the stop sign or, you know, they just cut me off or pointing out. Does other... he get angry too? Not terribly angry. Not mm -hmm. to begin with, actually. Mm -hmm. He yeah. doesn't. But I actually do something that makes him angry, oh, uh, which yeah. is <laughs> rather than disarming. Um, and even though I know the five secrets inside and out and teach them to people when, when we're in our own personal exam situations, it can, you know, be hard to, uh, decide to, hard to practice what you preach. To, yeah. Hard to practice what you preach. And so I think I usually am operating under some negative thoughts, like he shouldn't comment on other people's driving. We should just sort of let those things go and, and not voice what what he's noticing, and so I get a little ticked off, and I'll say something like, "You know, why did you say that?" Or, "You know, do you have to say that?" Or, or say that wasn't that bad, or I I thought they did stop at the stop sign, or basically something that is invalidating, and predictably you could imagine that that doesn't help, and actually makes things worse, and will turn into a kind of like bit of a back and forth and um, somehow I can't seem to resist doing that over and over and it really uh, was brought home to me one time when I happened to be driving with my husband and my mom and um, my husband made some comment like oh did you you know see how uh, that person I don't even remember what it was but like let's just make it up, ran through the stop sign. And my mom said, yeah, I hate it when people do that. You know, I feel like blasting the horn at them. Mm -hmm. And it instantly diffused the situation. And it just became so obvious to me in that moment that 
because she disarmed him and, and found truth in what he was saying, it was sort of like that was the end of it. And and my constant going back and saying, oh, well, why'd you say that? You shouldn't have said that. That just, you know, made made things worse. That's awesome. Well, it's a great personal example, but I have a question, which is, since you know the five secrets <laughs> inside and out, mm -hmm. what stops you from doing it in, in that very uh, personal event in your life? I think it's just those negative thoughts that he shouldn't say that. You know, that just a um, an idea about how people should behave, you know, according to my wishes. Uh, and so... I think that's really so, so you hang on to your righteousness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's better for you in, in the moment than it is to diffuse the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting better. Let's put that out there. <laughs> and we get rewarded by blaming others, by telling ourselves I'm right and you're wrong. And, right. and I think there's a basic human biological drive toward conflict and aggression. And I think it's, it's in all of us and it's mm -hmm. very... Very, very tempting, just like our, our little our cats when they go outside, what they want to do the most. Like you have two cats, I posted them on the, on the website. They're the mm -hmm. cutest little little cats in the world, and I'm sure they've had nothing but love and the best of everything a cat could hope for. But what do they want to do more than anything else? Go out in the backyard, capture a little mouse, and torture it to death. <laughs> and that's a basic, you know, biological drive. And I think we have this biological drive toward aggression and arguing and defeating the other person. <clears throat> and that's what you're, what you're swimming up upstream when you're trying to learn the five secrets. And that's, I think, why <clears throat> why, why religious leaders and Buddha and and have been, to my way of thinking, pretty un unsuccessful at modifying hu human behavior. You know, you write about it in the Bible and you have all these truths that you teach uh, children, and yet when it comes down to an actual conflict, we want to lash out at the other person and defend ourselves and, and prove that we're, we're right. And so... We it, were just talking about how uh, we had learned that self-righteous anger is a very... Yeah. rewarding state neurologically. So yeah. we're wired for that, perhaps. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's practice the disarming technique, and then we'll have a kind of some homework for the folks who are listening, if, if you'd like to, to learn this, this powerful method. Uh, just to dangle the carrot a little bit, I, can, I would say it's been one of the greatest things in, in my life, uh, in, in my career as a psychiatrist, and in my, my personal life, as well, and it involved a lot of work uh, for, for me, and I don't always succeed. Sometimes I give in to those dark forces to argue and get defensive, and uh, but it, it has uh, helped me tremendously in my interaction with family, with colleagues, and, and with patients as, as, as well. Okay, so um, let's go back and give a couple specific examples so the listeners can see that we're focusing on how to do the disarming technique and, and what happens when you don't do the disarming technique. And, and let's give practical examples of, of the law of opposites. You, you were telling me a really interesting example about a young, a young Japanese woman who, who, who you treated recently, who was a teenager struggling with, with uh, depression, and, uh, and you were trying to give the, the mother some, some coaching. Tell, tell us about what was going on there. Yeah, so um, I was seeing the mother who had a teen teenage daughter uh, who was suffering from depression, and the daughter 
had to take a leave from school and was in a outpatient hospital program and really struggling. This is Sarah. And Sarah. And um, the mother took a leave from work to help her daughter and was making all kinds of phone calls to the school to try to help her daughter make up missed work and lots of arranging for the daughter's medical care and uh, really working hard on her daughter's behalf and really worried about her daughter. And yet the mother and daughter were butting heads quite a bit. And so we decided to take a look at exactly what was going on in some of their interactions. And so one typical interaction that happened was the daughter would say something like, you don't care about me. And um, when I asked what the mom would say in response, she would say something like, we do care. And, and then she would just explain herself why she had needed to set some limit. For example, you know, we just can't let you use your phone 24 hours a day. Now, before and, we go on with this really great story, mm-hmm. let's just uh, pause and talk about the law of opposites. Mm-hmm. Now, what that mother did is what 99% of our listeners do 99% of the time. When, if you're a therapist and a patient attacks you, you make a statement like, like that. No, I do care about you. Or when your family member says that. But what, what will the daughter conclude when the mother responds like this, daughter says, I, you know, you don't care about me. And the mother says, oh, we do care about you. We're doing all these things for you. What will the daughter conclude? How will the daughter feel? The daughter will not feel understood at all and will conclude that the mom doesn't care about her. And just let's just spell that out at the fourth grade level. Why is it when you defend yourself from a criticism like this, it, the person becomes even more convinced that what they're saying is true? Because they haven't had their experience validated. So the daughter doesn't feel cared about. And if the mother is insisting that we do care about you, she will feel even, the daughter will feel even more rejected rejected and alone and misunderstood. Because who's the mother talking about? Uh, Well, we do care about you, sweetheart. She's talking about herself. Exactly. Yes. So, so that's more right. proof. Do, do, do you yeah. see? When you defend yourself from a criticism, you prove that the criticism is valid. It's mm-hmm. a subtle thing to, right. to see. But it, you can see it so plainly here. Oh, yes, sweetheart, we, I, I do care about you. I'm, I'm a wonderful human being, and you're so lucky to have me as a mother. Do, do, yeah. do you see it's all this narcissistic self-defense stuff, which doesn't do anything to touch the daughter, her suffering, her sadness, her her. Her, her anger, just a distancing, argumentative response. And I don't mean to be overly critical because the mother doesn't think about it like that and she's trying to, to be loving, but yet that, that, that's the law of opposite. When you defend yourself from a criticism that feels unfair and untrue and you defend yourself, you'll prove that the criticism is valid. Now let's hear the other side of it. Yeah, and so you can imagine, though, why it would be so hard for the mother to disarm. And remember, the definition of disarm, disarming is to find some truth in what the other person is saying. And if the daughter is saying, you don't care about me, but meanwhile the mother has had to take a leave from work and is running herself ragged trying to arrange things for her daughter... Uh, and she, the mother's doing all of this out of love, it's very hard for the mother to find truth in what the daughter is saying because it, it does feel false. But in fact, when she doesn't disarm, uh, it, it just makes things worse, like you've said. 
So we, um, the, the mother and I kind of worked on what she might say instead to, to actually disarm the daughter. And, and maybe why don't we just have you be the daughter for a moment, David, sure. and you yeah. say. Yeah, well, you, you, you don't care about me. Yeah, honey, you're right. You know, your, your dad and I haven't been showing you care, and we've been putting limits on how much you use your phone, and that's been restricting your ability to connect with your friends. And uh, we haven't been understanding how you're feeling, and we've just been fighting. And it, it makes me so sad that we're fighting this much, and I can imagine that you're feeling angry with us and maybe hurt too. And even though I do get frustrated when, when we're fighting as much as we've been fighting, I, I love you so much, and I really do want to understand how you're feeling. Can you tell me more how you are feeling? Yeah, and I'd have to give you real real high marks on that, because as, as, as the daughter, that, then paradoxically, I, I would feel cared about when, when you acknowledge that, that you're sometimes angry and that you haven't tuned into my feelings and... and uh, you know, it would just. Can can you explain that a little bit, uh, Febreze? Well, when when you're when you're telling to to the daughter that, uh, yes, it's true. I've not been the best mother. It's like, oh, she's joining me where I am at. Yeah. So when you admit your failure, you suddenly succeed. Yeah. And uh, that's that's also the, the the death of the ego. And 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 when your ego dies, you are reborn. Because the rebirth is is the relation, then you have that loving relationship with your daughter, who finally feels cared about and and understood. Uh, let's just give just a couple little one-liner examples of, of the disarming uh, t- technique, and then I have a homework assignment for the the folks who are who are listening, and a little vignette to introduce the homework assignment. But uh, this is something I sometimes do in workshops, and it might work here. I'll be David. And you can give me some impossibly outrageous uh, criticism, and I'll, it'll be my challenge to see if I can d- disarm you and make a statement that's entirely true. So you have to get, say something, you know, horrendously humiliating and insulting. And do you, who do you th- want us be to fun, be? Right? You, pa- you patients, can be yourself. friends. Yeah, you, you can be some kind of, you know. Angry colleague or something like like. Yeah, we like could that. be an angry podcast listener. Yeah, yeah or this, anything. This podcast is terrible. <laughs> yes, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, we've cut out two sections already. That sucks. And I, I hope it'll be, be up to speed and have some value. But I had that same thought about 16 times since we started this, this podcast. So how did I do? That was... Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that, that looks yes. Right. I'm and, feeling and, a shame right now of being on this very podcast. <laughs> yeah. But but see if you let your ego die, you don't have anything anything to to, to be afraid of. Uh, you want to try it again or do a role reversal? Well, or? you know. But the thing is, David, you're you're just a narcissist, and you can't even bear to be contradicted. Because you're going to be shooting down everyone who does. I'm surprised it took you this many podcasts <laughs> to figure that out about me and my narcissism. I wouldn't say it's my worst fault because we have <laughs> others that are worse, but it's one of my one of my worst faults. And a lot of times when I get get myself into trouble, it's because I let my narcissism take over. And you know, I totally agree with you. And uh, and I'm so narcissistic that right now I'm not even feeling ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
going to be great. <laughs> uh, now here's here's your here's your assignment. If if you want to learn the five secrets, and and if you want to take a, a crack at, at changing your life, maybe that sounds too too grandiose, but that's for me. It, learning this really really changed my life and changed my career. Uh, that your assignment is to find things to agree with. Let's say every day, try to agree with five different people. Now, they maybe aren't criticizing you. It could be just go into a grocery store and, <laughs> and the person checking your groceries says something like, oh, it's raining outside or you know, it's a gloomy day and you just agree with them. Say, yeah, yeah, we, we've got some real rain and, you know, it's, it is kind of gloomy outside. Just something as trivial as that. But get used to saying, you're, you're right, I, I agree with you. And I'll give you a, one last quick example. Um, and, and by the way, if people do this, it'd be great if they could leave a comment in the show notes yes. so we know what, what happened, you know, what, yes. what did they discover? Yeah, so we'll have some fun things to talk about on, yeah. on, on the next uh, podcast. Yeah. That's a great idea, uh, Fabrice. I, I agree with you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, commuting home in Philadelphia in the summer. It, it was a real hot day, and the, the commuter trains were kind of screwed up, so they were late, and... Everybody was piling into this train, and the air conditioning didn't work in the train, and people were packed in not only in the seats, but totally in, in, in the uh, aisles. So there wasn't really even room for one more person mm -hmm. to get on, and I was squashed there in the aisle, but I saw this little kind of a half a thing seat on the end, a little, little area. So I said, oh, I'm going to sit down there. I'm so tired. And the man next to me was in a real sour mood, and, and he started whining and complaining, real angrily, complain, complain, complain. And I think secretly he was you know, letting me know he was pissed off that I had sat down next to him in this crowded, sweaty, hot train without the air conditioning. So I just decided as a, uh, you know, a little experiment to use the disarming technique. So whatever he said, I just totally agreed with him. I, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, they're not managing these trains well at all. And uh, air conditioning doesn't work. Everyone's packed in here. I'm sitting down, squashed up against you. You're probably feeling really uh, squashed and, and irritated. And, uh, you know, we're, we're on the same, same page. These trains don't seem to be managed very well. And then he gave some other complaint, and I agreed with him again. And he said something about the Mideast, there's problems in the Mideast, and all these countries are fighting against each other, and it's also irrational. And then I agreed with them again, and they started to just open up. And by the time we got to Brenmar, which was, you know, 12 minutes later, I think he thought I was his best friend in the whole world. <laughs> he poured out his heart to me, and like he, he became this very friendly fellow. And he was probably a, was probably a grumpy guy who was you know, complaining all the time, and then people get annoyed with him and argue with him or, or dismiss him. And the fact that I just you know, gave him some respect and found truth in what he was saying, it just, just kind of made his day. But it's also a Buddhist idea or a Christian idea or a Jewish idea or whatever religion you have. I'm sure it's at the core of your religion that when you help another person, you, you're helping yourself. Like the we are one, the universe is one, and the fact is I made him feel really happy, and then that made me feel really happy, rather than getting into some argument with some uh, yeah. ordinary fellow, yeah. fellow on a train. So see if you can agree 
if if you want to learn this now if you don't want to if it doesn't appeal if if you don't want to resolve the conflicts with people in your lives then you, you don't have to do the homework but but if you want want to change your life uh, this week try to agree with five things that people say every day and and again it's you're right, and then you agree with with them. That's that's the simple formula here. And also, remember, if if you want to get a deeper look at this and get written practice as well and better explanations, pick up my book, Feeling Good Together, because it's both for therapists and for the general public. And there's a chapter on each of the five secrets and written exercises for you in there as well. Yeah, that's really the manual for what we're talking about here. Yeah. And one of the things I think you can learn... Uh, how you can learn these things is also how it feels when people do or don't use things like the disarming technique on you. So sometimes you might be the person who's complaining or upset and uh, you'll have your own real life learning when, when you see how people respond to you and can notice how wonderful it feels when somebody uses disarming and finds truth in what you're saying rather than arguing or criticizing you or telling you not to feel that way. Absolutely. And I can think of things I can't bring specifics to mention, but even in the last couple of weeks, I think I've called up to complain about something in a hotel reservation or or, or something. I was just really angry and ticked off. and, And then the other person said, you know, you have every right to, to feel that, that way, and, and clear, clear, clearly you're right. And, and, and what, what you're saying, all of a sudden, well, oh, this is the most wonderful person in the world. I think I'm in love. Yeah. You know? And all my anger suddenly suddenly disappeared. One last thing is that there's common errors that people make in the disarming technique, and let's just mention what, what those those are. One is that you have to genuinely agree agree with the, the person, and, and Fabrice is giving me ten seconds here. So, uh, and, and and so you, making a statement like "I can see how you might feel that way" is not genuine disarming. That's a kind of a put put down, uh, and uh, and and also you may just not be able to see the truth in what the person is saying. If so, talk with a family member or a colleague and say, "Can you see some truth?" And, and what this person is saying, or write to us, and you know, send me an email, and we'll, we'll help. We'll help you. We'll help you figure it out. So I will uh, shut up at this point. At uh, Fabrice uh, giving me that, that one finger flag there, <laughs> middle you're, finger you're, signal. No, he's not. You're, you're giving our listeners the wrong impression. Yeah, I, he, and he was here's not a doing witness that. that did not happen. <laughs> Thank you, Fabrice. Well, thank, thank you, you Helen, for joining yeah. us. And we really appreciate your uh, being a part of the uh, Feeling Good podcast team today. Thank you for having me. Okay, see you next week. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com, where you will find the show notes for this podcast under the blog page, and where you can leave your comments and questions. The website has an abundance of resources for therapists as well as non-therapists, including books, workshops, a list of online training groups around the world, and much more. Theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast.